and welcome to Unapologetic Women, a podcast about current affairs, culture, politics, life, and how we got here, brought to you by Tony and Sorsha. These are unscripted conversations about the things that we care about, not the things that we're experts in. Oh, and there's probably going to be some swearing. Hey, Sorsha. Hello, Tony. How are you? Ah, isn't that question become even more loaded? Mm-hmm. It's, I was listening. I think I sent it to you. I was listening to, um, it's funny. I think I'm going to have this every time someone says, how are you now? I'm going to start with, I was listening to Brené Brown's podcast where mm-hmm. she's now actually said, she's now started asking people, I believe this is what she started doing, but I'm not going to ask you, how are you just as a chit chat? I'm actually going to ask you and look at you in the eyes and say, how are you? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. To, on that note, to answer your question, how am I? I'm, um, I think I'm okay. Just ups and downs, I think, every day. A lot of confusion. Mm. I don't know. I go from moments of, oh, my God, I should be doing more, to, oh, my God, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, to I'm tired of having awkward conversations, and then, oh, my God, I hate myself for even saying that. That's me. How are you? Yeah, the how are you thing is real. Isn't it? Yeah, I think about it in professional setting as well, of, like, when you come into a meeting, you know, you've only got 30 minutes and someone says, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> let's talk after. But I mean, yeah, you I, and I experienced that the other day. We both had a call. Where I was like, I let's just stick to the agenda, which is, was such an interesting frame and, and made sense. Like, no, let's just stick to the agenda. We've got a lot to get through. We've got 30 minutes. We can connect after to like if and it's it's a nice thing of if you truly want to know, we can connect after to dig into that because that's that in itself is gonna take thirty minutes. Sorry, I just realized that you and I no. have actually experienced that exact moment. And I've experienced it a lot this week with work of and where I work, it's a bring your whole self to work type of place. And so very regularly we do check ins at the top of each meeting. Yeah. Which allow you to get present in that particular space and I've had a number of folks this week, myself included, just like opt out of checking in because, you know, you either don't have the words or whatever it is, or you don't want to take up that much airtime for whatever, whatever reason. But how do you sum up? Like, I, I can even sum up how I'm feeling if you're generally asking how I'm doing. I can't. Yeah. Like. Either you know or you have actually no fucking idea. That's my two things. I even know, like, I'm doing good or I'm doing terrible and I'll leave it at that. Or I actually don't have words for it. Interesting point. And I think I'm grounding myself in things that I can impact, mm. that I feel confident in my own personal ability to be involved with, as opposed to a larger existential crisis that is, is taking place around me, specifically looking at policy, Justin Amash and Ayanna Presley co-authored a bill that went into Congress around um, police brutality and just like really grounding myself in the policy change that people are trying to bring through. And then the flip side of that is looking, how can I give my area of expertise to folks? And so how can I help folks who are looking to run for office that are people of colour and not, not come across in this way of like, because of what's happening in the world, I, I expect you to feel a particular way. And so I want to offer you X. And so that is my, my own personal struggle, mm-hmm. I think, right now. A question for you, and it 
And I think I'm asking this because I think I'm, I'm the thing. I think I'm going to ask you this because I felt a little bit of this. So I think I'm projecting a little bit on you with the question I'm going to ask you. But uh, do you have a feeling based on what you've just said that you're focusing on the things that you know that you can impact, you know that you can change and you know that you're and I'm going to put words in your mouth that aren't there, but that you're comfortable in doing. Are you doing that because you believe that's the only thing that you can do? Are you doing that, do you think, because it's what's comfortable for you right now and you don't have the headspace to go into that? I don't, cannot right now. There's so much happening. It's too big that I can't actually go into another space. Or do you, or is this truly a, no, no, this is the one thing that I believe I can do right now. I'm just curious if you're. Well, I, I bucket. So like mm. for me, there's, there's your social media realm, yeah. right? Where you can show up and share content that can be educational, that can be live content of being physically at protests, that can be entering thing here. Yeah. Then there's like action oriented. And so again, that can be physically participating in a protest that can be creating a GoFundMe page that can mm. be lobbying your legislators. Yeah. And then there's a place of reflection healing community like those three things for me live in parallel and i'll actually i'll remove the bucket of social media i'll rename that as like passive passive yes. engagement the clickbait stuff yeah so like passive engagement action and then like this community space and those three for me live in parallel constantly for like Social media is a thing that's a part of my daily life. It's a part of a yeah. lot of people's daily lives. Action-oriented things just in my profession is a part of my daily work life. Yeah. And so is community and this this construct of like building community. Yeah. And so in terms of where I'm comfortable, I wouldn't say I was comfortable with going out and like seeking uh, yeah. people of color to you know run for office. It's not something I've done before. But it is where I know I have a skill set to give to anyone who wants it. And I think, yeah, if that answers your question. It does. It, the reason I asked is because I, I mean, fuck, I feel like, sorry, I just don't know why I'm apologizing for the bad language. We never apologize for bad language. I've, like many, many people, I feel like I've gone like on a whole journey in a very short period of time and I've, learned a lot and there was a post that I shared this morning about white women let's talk about feed fatigue and burnout because you're going to feel it right now because you're getting so much and it was such an interesting way of looking at things of you're getting so much thrown at you you're getting your whole history rewritten in the right all the things that you never learned at school all the things that were never taught you're getting so much thrown at you which I thought was a fascinating way of of, of looking at that but I think the reason I answer that is, so like many people have learnt an extraordinary amount this week and the last couple of weeks, and I just like, I had two buckets. I had the things that I know that I can do and I'm comfortable doing most of the time. And then there's a brand new bucket for me, which was around a couple of things that were eye-opening. One of it was the opposite of not being racist is not actually the opposite of racism is not not being racist. It's being anti-racist, which was a thing that when you explain it so plainly, it makes perfect sense. And yet I tie that to the fact that I was way too often probably silent or didn't speak up because I was awkward and didn't know the right language or the right words. And I, I put my comfort 
and lack there of awkwardness beyond that actually you should do the right thing, whatever that right thing is. And so that was a big like eye opener for me. Didn't learn that in the last two weeks. It's something that's been gradual over the months of ah, we've got a duty to speak up, even if, and I mean, I guess this is the whole thing about this podcast is having the conversations, being humble, having the, the courage to have the hard conversations, even though you might not have the right language. But there's another piece that for me I've started to do that is, I think, kicked off with everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks, which is calling out your friends who just are basically doing racist things without knowing it. And that's just been, just been an, I don't know, that's something that I didn't think that I needed to do and that I started to do. And it's so fucking awkward, like friends and family, because as you know, the, the calling out people on social media because they're not doing what you believe is the right thing or they're not doing enough is the thing that's been pissing me off so much because it's actually a tip of the fucking iceberg. Yeah. And actually, if you're going to call out people, how about you have those conversations with your friends and family, which again seems so obvious and it's so hard. It's so hard. And it's also, people aren't necessarily equipped. That's it. Don't know how to hold yeah. for. Constructive. And if we go back to episodes way back, this yeah. cancel culture, right? Yeah. This can't like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I disagree. So like, look, fine, let's end this conversation. I agree to disagree. Exactly. And I think for me, this past 10 days now, I think at this point, there have been things that were brought to, have been brought to the forefront that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even thought was a racist act. Like I saw someone, um, post a thing around, like, have you ever held your bag too tight? when you were walking out of a grocery yeah. store because you saw it, right? Like things like that, yeah. which is a complete just mental shift and a cult, like yeah. what the personas that put that black people are have to embody because of white people having given them that perception, right? Yeah. Those types of things didn't, weren't for me in my like mind. Yeah. They just weren't at the forefront. And so this, that week, this week, these past 10 days have brought that, to the top for me mm. of like how do we systemic systematic yeah. racism as opposed to the extremely blatant killing that yes. we saw of George Floyd right like yeah. it's it's this those smaller things that have to change and the conversations that you have with your friends and family will be tough but have to happen or else it won't change it's interesting when you were saying that I realized I've gotten very comfortable very quick with with the white privilege, the concept of white privilege, which I'd actually, because I didn't live in America and it's very different back in Europe as it is in America, I didn't have this concept of what white privilege was. And I honestly think if you would have told me, do you realize the white privilege that you had a couple of years ago, I would have, I would have not understood what that meant. I would have taken it, I would have been a bit sour of you throwing that at me. And I think there's past 10 days of that thing. Of, no, I've never actually had to think about what it looks like me carrying a certain bag. No, I've never had to think about what it looks like me saying a certain thing or doing a certain thing. And it's been interesting. I'm just like, yeah, it's fucking white privilege. There's nothing else to it but that. And it's interesting because talking about, so the, the protests happened in Brussels as well, which is where I lived for, for 20 days. And there's a dear, dear friend of mine what did I just say? 
20 days you lived in Brussels. No, 20 years. I saw Mm -hmm. your face. I was like, I just said something really stupid. (laughs) Help. What did I just say? I'm glad it was just that. (laughs) I lived there for 20 years. This is how we know that we listen to each other. other, It's like, that's not right. It's not right. (laughs) So I lived in Brussels for 20 years. The protest happened this weekend for Black Lives Matter. And I've got a dear, dear friend of mine who owns a shop and she has purposefully, her choice, decided to very big store concept store. And it's been very obvious that she's purposefully over the last couple of weeks decided not to mention Black Lives Matter, not to bring it to the forefront. Her whole thing is closed. Like I'm not getting involved in this political debate. Fair enough. You do you. It was, it was, I was, I don't know, I was struggling with it, but you know, do your thing. And then what happened is obviously protests happen. And then as we've seen time and time again, protests happen, looters happen. And she started filming from the top of her store, all the looting happening and video after video. And I had a moment of, I'm pissed because what is going to be the front page of tomorrow's newspapers in Belgium is going to be the looting is going to be a small percentage of people fucking up what was a very peaceful protest. And yet again, the racist media is going to portray this, is going to portray, oh, look, terrible, lunatics going at it, whatever, whatever language found. But that's what's going to be front and center, not this is why this march and this is why this protest is happening. And then she posted a video of, and this is a shame because I started a dialogue with her very gently. I was wondering, how am I going to bring this up? Is it even my place? And then she posted a video of, and this is a shame because this is, I was explaining to her, like, I'm pissed right now because this is what's going to be front page of the media. This, not the protest. And so she actually posted a small video and she's got, you know, she's got 150,000, I think, followers, something like that. So she's got a big following and she posted something along the lines of, and this is a shame because this is taking away from what was a very peaceful protest. All lives matter. And then I just broke down. I was like, oh, okay. Now I actually have to have a conversation with you. And so I sat down and I said, look, I know this is probably not what you intended, but here are a couple of definitions and you're probably not aware of this, but the All Lives Matter is a slogan for basically the anti-Black Lives Matter movement. It's taking away. And I broke it down like I've learned in the last couple of weeks extremely well of someone screaming, my house is on fire and other people going, yeah, but you need to take care of my house too. Yeah, but your house is not on fire. Yeah, but what about my house? My house matters. And so I, I was like, I know this is a stupid analogy, but this is all I have for you right now. Google it. And here's like three or four articles of why you just like, please do me a favor, take this down. And she did. And she then came and said back, and actually, I'm going to take everything down because I've realized that what I've done is I've shed a light on the small negative part of the movement, not the protest. It was such a, and all of this was happening via fucking WhatsApp because there's a nine hour difference. And I was like, this is awkward. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say to you. Tony, can I ask you what what triggered you in that moment to say, I have to say something here? It was the All Lives Matters. All Lives Matters. Yeah. It, because I know where that was coming from and it was white privilege. Mm. Is I know you are not coming at this from disregarding the Black Lives Matter movement. <laughs> but to your point, you've never had to think about why saying All Lives Matters discredits what is actually happening right fucking now. It's not about your life right now. Yeah. It's just like, can we, you've had, you know, you've, forget that. And I knew I, it was that. It was really that. I was like, that's it. I, I can't. I, and I think this is it, is because I wish and I hope that if I ever say something as stupid as that in this moment, because obviously 
we've all recently learned why that is so dangerous and so the wrong angle and the worst angle to look at things. I hope that someone would have called me out if I would have done something so openly, so publicly, or even in front of two people. And I realized that if I was going to be a good friend, like I had to say something. Um, so it was those two things. It was that thing that I'd not recently, but most recently learned about. Mm. Knowing that she's an incredibly good, good person, knowing she's got a huge following as well, and hoping that I have good enough friendships with people calling me out when I do something or say something that's stupid. Because again, this is what a podcast is about. It's about fucking being vulnerable and learning. Yeah, I... And um, it was awkward, Sasha. Of course. It was just so... I was shaking in my room. I was hiding in a little corner. I was like, I don't know how to tell you this. None of this is going to make sense to me. I was like vomiting words. It was interesting. And it was, I think, one of the first times I've had to have such a... Also distant conversation like that. I generally call out people, friends of mine. And they say something stupid or vaguely racist. I'm just like, oh, fuck off. Like, I'll just come out and say it. It's easier when it's face to face. Oh, yeah. There's another lane, mm. I'll call it, with the I don't see colour. Yeah. And we were down this weekend uh, with family and one of the the people that that we were around is actually, she was fostering a kid. He then, they then adopted him fully. It's a white family that adopted a a black kid. And she was sharing her experience of, you know, I don't see color. And and like that, that's how she felt. Like it was, I don't, you know, I've, this is how I've raised my child. Like my child is black. We are a white family. Yeah. Like I don't see color and I want him to not see color. And, there's there's definitely two schools of thought yeah. in that, right, of, no, you should see colour because of the persecution and the pain that has been felt. And great, well done, you, you don't see colour. Okay, what does that mean then? Because we're not all equal and we know that. Yeah. That's like fact. So if we're not seeing colour, are we ignoring it? Yeah. And, I, like, I have to resignate with the, like, I don't, see color thing because i was always brought up in that sphere where everyone was welcome right regardless of your your race your religion and but i understand why that's triggering i think it's it's also a white privilege thing to be able to say i don't see color Mm -hmm. i i cannot help sort of put that in parallel with the i don't see gender in the sort of I will ha- when you're saying like why do you have so many men on your board oh because I I don't I don't look at it if it's a man or a woman or whatever and you see that in context which I think that was very true and very present even when I started in the workforce 10 15 20 years ago and now it's flipped to no no you have to see the value of having a female leader you have to fucking see the characteristics of what this brings to the table you have to know the difference that a man brings and a woman brings. It's two different personalities coming at the table, two different character, sets of characteristics. Um, I can't help, I couldn't help but put it in the same kind of parallel. Um, and I don't know if people yeah. say I don't see gender, but it's like, it's in that same vein of, you know, I don't make, I don't discriminate against sexes, you know? I, yeah, like, it, it brings up affirmative action. That's and, it. like, this concept, and I, there's been so many 
streams around in particular resumes and resumes with black sounding names versus white sounding names and the six I think it's 65 percent decrease or whatever it is in terms of callbacks from that and affirmative action being in place to ensure that there is diversity at the table and where do we like I bring myself back into what we said at the top right of like what can we change where could like where do I feel like I can do something is in the policy land right and like trying to figure out it, there has to be a better version of affirmative action because I'm not going to yes. go down the track, but there yeah. are a number of reasons why it doesn't work. And that figuring out like what is, what is an equilibrium of diversity? How do you get to a place where every business, every city council, every school board, every entering thing here has a reflection That's of it. the population that it serves, all the consumers that it serves, all the entering thing here? Because I also don't think there is, there needs to be, I don't think that there needs to be a specific vein of like, this is the one size that fits all for everything. There has to be variables within whatever policy that comes forth at the local level, in my opinion. And in the US, that's extremely challenging when you have your federal, your state and your municipal sets of law. But like the the, and to go back to one of our earlier episodes, the lack of leadership right now, it's so hard yeah. for me to grasp what yeah. our federal government can actually put forth so that yeah. state officials can take it and say, this is what makes sense for my population because yeah. my population has X percentage of um, of white people, X percentage of African-American, X percentage of yeah. Latinos, whatever it is. That to me is a massive piece of policy that I want to figure out how can, like, how, how can we get that going? And you don't get there, in my belief, without doing, without being extremely intentional in the thing that you need to do. And what I mean by that is I think, I often think about when I go back to like, I hope there's a day when I'm putting panels together and I join a panel and it just happens to be such a diverse and mixed group. And I haven't had to sit there and think about, okay, I need my two men. I need my two women. Where's my person of color? Where's my thinking through all of that. And I think that until it becomes, it just happens without having to be so intentional, you still need to be intentional. And someone shared these stats, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I thought it was just so fascinating about this whole concept of why people are saying there is such white supremacy in America. It's like the 10 richest Americans are 100% white. US Congress is 90% white. US governors are 96% white. Top military advisors are 100% white. Presidents and vice presidents are 100% white. Current US presidential cabinet, 91% white. And you go through the list and it's all in the tier of 90 to 100% white. And so when you see that, you realize there's a problem, regardless of the, you know, we're hiring the best people. Well, it's not enough. And I keep coming to that. It's not enough. So what else can we be extremely intentional about? And I think about, uh, what is he called? Uh, what is he called? I've got his name somewhere. The founder of Reddit, Alexis Ohio, or something like that, who's just stepped down as a board member of Reddit and said, I stepped down and I want to leave my place to a black advisor. And I've told people to find someone to replace me that should be a person that is black. And I thought it was a small act in the grand scheme of things, but that's the thing that he knew that he could do right now and was very intentional about why he's doing it and what they need to look for to replace him, which I thought was just... Mm. That's exactly what he can control though. That's it. And it goes back to what you were saying right now, looking around 
mm-hmm. about all the things that we're being asked to do and okay what are the things that I know that I can do right now and for me today that was actually have the fucking hard conversation with a dear friend and explained why the thing that was just posted was actually probably counterintuitive and probably hurtful or harmful and when you talk about those stats Tony the one that rings true and this is only as of uh, 2019 uh, from uh, Women Campaign Fund or Women Equity Campaign Fund sorry 17% of all elected officers in this country there's a caveat there because there's municipal data that's missing but uh, 17% are uh, women of color um and so yes there is a specific track of race as yeah. a area that we need to engage with and, and change dramatically and racial injustice and then there is another layer within that of gendered racial yeah. injustice um yeah it's as you talk about the policy again it was in one of the podcasts that i read which i thought was really interesting is this idea of what changes they were having a whole conversation around group behaviors and how and just change and the whole premise was what changes a group's behavior isn't getting every individual to change their own behavior yes and you actually need the policies that create these behaviors in the first place to fundamentally change and they said something that I was just that's been going round and round and round in my head and I'm trying to think of moments that I might have done this but what was being said was one of the things that we've done time and time again is we take groups especially black groups and groups of people of color and we take the most negative and socially agreed upon characteristics of that group of color and assign it to the whole entire group and we do the absolute opposite with white groups we take the best characteristics of one or two white people and we assign it to the entire white race. And I just had a moment of, that's what they're up against. We look at the negativity of an entire group and assign it to absolutely everyone. And again, when you talk about the white privileges, one or two white people do great things, the whole race would be amazing. Such a, it's like they, they, were, they basically said this is the most self-protective and self-destructive way of looking at the world at the same time. Just it was such a like I I have replayed that explanation like four or five times. I was like, have I done this? Probably. And that's ingrained in policies. It's literally that's what they were saying. When you look at that's it funding for school that comes from property taxes, and you look at redistricting and how areas are districted when there are more black people in a certain neighborhood, and what the property taxes there, and therefore what the funding of that school is. On the flip side, when you have an affluent white neighborhood and the property taxes from that, those houses go in to fund their public schools. That is a completely different lay of the fucking land for the kids who can afford, who are born into, I live in a great neighborhood. So therefore my public school has a better infrastructure. I was born into a neighborhood that is not as affluent and does not have as much money coming from property taxes. So therefore I get a secondary education in what is a federal mandated education system yep. with public and that education schools. sets you up for life in most cases. And even if you do beat those odds. Yeah. And you come out of that and you get great grades and you get accepted into some bullshit fancy college. We could talk all fucking day about how much that money that's going to cost you. But then you get out of there and you've got the same goddamn degree as John. But, but your name is Jamil. 
And it's, yeah. it's so, it's like that is so entrenched. That has to change. And the only way I know for that to change is to have more people of color run for office and be elected. What are the, as you look back on the last 10 days, is there anything else that you feel that you've learned from what's happened that you might have not known before that you're thankful that you discovered or things that you might have been oblivious to? Um, I'll focus in specifically on the weaponization of the police, mm. the yeah. levels of free reign, the lack of accountability and enforcement mm. of policies. A the the past ten days have illuminated and opened my fucking eyes to mm. the sheer power that is given to someone because they're wearing a uniform. And the the mob mentality that I am seeing that comes from that of protecting my own. If he does wrong, I'm not going to say. If she does bad, I know that she'll back me up, so I'm going to back her up. Mm. I, I, I had a peripheral understanding of that, but I had no fucking idea yeah. the level that exists. I just, I had no construct of that. And sit the visualization of watching people walk with signs and candles to be met by guns guess, yeah. and people in armor and bats. And so, yeah, the, for me, the past 10 days have just massively illuminated that as a, as a huge, huge pitfall. And I know that the goddamn president, one of the first changes he made was a law that Obama got into place on removing this construct of when the military no longer needs big guns and big trucks, just hand them on down to the police. He removed that law, that piece of legislation that Obama pushed yeah. through. So, yes, that, mm -hmm. why does my local police need to have an, a, a military-grade vehicle to drive through the streets? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll flip that to you, Tony. What, what's been the thing for you this week? Well, 10 days. I'll also add to that. It's what you just said there. And again, I can't remember the, the, the source of this, but someone joke, jokingly put on social media and then it actually opened a whole dialogue of imagine if our medical teams and our doctors and nurses were giving that lack of account, that lack of accountability. Or if they, when a crisis hits and all they did was just like, nope, sorry, I killed a few patients today. Oh, good. Great. Okay. Let's move forward. Which I thought was such a good, like, why can't we give our police the same accountability as we give people who are trying to save lives? And it was just, a, it was an interesting question that I've never, I've never had to question myself with, but I thought it was such a good stark parallel. They should all be signing the same fucking oaths and they should all be held. I mean, adopted, it's malpractice. Your, your, your license is taken away from you. You can never, like, it's a serious thing for one mistake or one bad judgment. Same should be applied. 
thought was such an interesting way of putting it. What have I learned? A couple of, I, I, I think for me, the biggest thing is silence isn't helping anyone. Just start the dialogue, start talking, get very, you know, my dad used to always tell me this, but get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I never realized how this had applied so well to this situation. I trying to, I think what I'm, this is not what I've learned, but where my head is at right now is trying to figure out how we, how we keep doing what we're doing today, tomorrow, in a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time. And it might look different. It might feel different. But right now, I think it was Van Jones that said this. This is the number one priority. Racism and police brutality has never been the number one priority at a global scale. And so we all have a duty to continue shedding a light on this thing, which actually helped me realize, okay, that's why I'm not staying silent, because it is now the number one priority has never been. It's been number priority number 15 and 17 and 20, whatever it is. But I think the thing, the two things that I learned this week that I'm ashamed that it maybe took me so long to realize. Don't expect your black friends to educate you again, place of privilege. Like, and I don't think I've never asked any of my black friends to educate me, but I don't think I've never realized just how much is being asked of them. They are tired right now. They are exhausted. And yet we're still somehow expecting them to give us the answers. Like, what the fuck is wrong with us that educate yourself, Google it. Like, it's not, it's not difficult. So me doing that exercise of looking at my bookshelves and looking at the movies I've watched recently and looking at the books I've read recently of, okay, let's start from scratch. What does this look like for me to actually educate myself so that when someone asks me, you know, how much do you know on this topic, I can actually answer correctly and, and, and point to a few books and movies and all of that. And the other thing that, to your point about the visualization of all of this is, our black friends don't need us to send out, which is why I've been intentional not posting anything about police brutality. That was my thing. I just, I don't like sensationalist media. I just, I love it. I don't think it's helpful. I do know there was a moment and a time for us to have our eyes open and see it. I don't like the sharing of it, but there's uh, an incredible New York chef called Sophia Rowe who did a, a long video that was just heartbreaking of her saying, I know you're trying to do the wrong things, but I do not need you. Again, she has a big following, but I do not need you to send me videos of police brutality. And she like just broke down. Like, I know, I know what they are doing to my brothers and sisters. Like, I do not need you to tell me this. And I just like had a moment of not even beginning to understand what that must mean for them. I was just like, I know this. I do not need a fucking another video of this for you to send me. And again, it's like I've been always been very intentional with it because I get triggered very quickly and I can imagine. But just like that realization, if I'm triggered and it's not, I'm not a black person, so I can't even start to understand what that triggering must be. And so I just, I had this moment of, God, social media, what do you do with it? It's such an important tool and it's just such a dangerous, dangerous place as well. So take the time that you need to take to take care of yourself, you know, at the end of the day, because we need to continue this journey. Yeah, on the that's that's a really important point, Tony. And it the I don't know it might have been Van as well, but some someone in the social media ether shared out the a series of police joining in, kneeling, mm. being a part of of the protest, and it started a very visceral thread of I don't. They've done their job. Well done. They're not beating people up in the face. Like, we shouldn't be celebrating. The bare minimum. That you don't kill someone today. That you don't 
subject someone to abuse because you can, that you don't shoot someone because you have a gun and you believe that they're incorrect. And there's something very powerful there of like, mm. if you're going to take an oath to protect and serve as you do in this country, it has to be taken as seriously as that of a doctor. Yeah. Like it just, it has to, there's, there is no, there's no way around it. And it has to be enforced. There has to be accountability, point blank. I think one of my favourite placards or banners um, was Black Lives Matter with the matter underlined as the bare minimum. Black lives should be celebrated. Black lives should be cherished. And it is true, like, it's not to your point. Not shooting someone is not the thing that should be celebrated. Celebrated. <laughs>